product is transformed, that it might bring honor and glory to you in all that we do. So we ask now for your leadership and your guidance as your word is preached. And we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, as we have already seen, there is considerable amount of repetition. For example, chapter 5. seven through ten and no doubt one reason the writer repeats certain themes so often is for the sake of emphasis for the sake of emphasis for all the truths that we find mentioned throughout the book of Hebrews are important but the the truth of Christ's high priesthood is of supreme importance there is not a more useful and practical doctrine when it comes to our own comfort as sinners in need of a high priest than the doctrine of Christ's priesthood. And so it's, it's easy to see why the writer sets forth the reality of Christ's priesthood before his audience again and again and again as if to emphasize to us that Christ is what we need. Christ is with us. He sympathizes with our needs. He can sustain us in the time of our struggle. And yet, as we read in our text, we, we see that there's another reason why certain truths are repeated continually throughout this book, and that is because of the spiritual immaturity of the readers being addressed. The spiritual immaturity of the readers being addressed by this letter. For rather than being mature enough to receive these truths and to show evidence that they truly comprehended them, these readers needed to be taught the same things over and over again. And so much so that it was a real challenge for the writer of this letter to know exactly how to explain the truths of God in a way that those who were being addressed could understand them. And those of us who have been teachers and preachers understand this challenge of how to present the word of God in such a way that it is understood and retained. And notice here in verse 11 how the writer addresses his readers. He states here, and about this, referring back to verses 1 through 10 of Hebrews 5 concerning Christ's high priesthood, we have much to say. We have much to say. And why did he say this? Because the high priesthood of Christ is an inexhaustible subject and there is so much more that could have been said. In fact, I would suggest to you that there was so much more that the writer did want to say. But notice what the writer goes on to say here. But it is hard to explain. Or better yet, it is hard to explain in a way that you will actually retain it. Since you have become dull of hearing. 
And so here in our text this morning, the writer to the Hebrews confronts directly the spiritual immaturity of his readers. The spiritual immaturity of his readers. And in doing so here in Hebrews chapter 5, he, he reveals to them and he reveals to us, to you and I this morning, the recognizable symptoms of spiritual immaturity in God's people. The recognizable symptoms of spiritual immaturity in God's people. The kind of immaturity that not only keeps us from progressing in our spiritual lives, but the kind of spiritual immaturity that keeps us from being more productive than we can be in our ministry to Christ and to others in the body of Christ. For that which hinders our own spiritual growth also inhibits our ability to encourage and to promote spiritual growth in the lives of others as well. What are the signs, what are the symptoms of spiritual immaturity? You say, well, pastor, why should I even be asking this question? We should all be asking this question because we need to ask ourselves, are we spiritually mature? And we need to know what the symptoms and signs of immaturity are to see where we stand. Well, as we've already read in verse 11, the first symptom of spiritual immaturity is the inability to listen sharply or with reverence and attention. The inability to listen sharply or with reverence and attention. In fact, the English Standard Version of the Bible, which I'm preaching from this morning, translates this last part of verse 11, you have become dull of hearing. However, this translation of this phrase here in verse 11 can easily be misunderstood because the problem was not that they were losing their hearing or that they had grown incapable of learning. But the problem was that they were inattentive to the word of God as it was being taught and preached. They were inattentive of the word of God as it was being taught and preached. And they were not giving the word of God that close, careful hearing that it deserved, especially since it was indeed the very words of God. In fact, a good way of understanding this phrase is to see that these readers were doing the opposite of what the writer urged them to do back in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Back in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, they were urged to pay much closer attention to what they were hearing. Remember that? Pay much closer attention to what you're hearing. And here in Hebrews 5 and verse 11, the, the writer's audience was again being admonished for paying far too little attention to God's word as it was taught and preached. And so like a classroom full of children with very short attention spans, 
These believers were not focusing for long on anything that they heard. They were not keeping what they heard through the preached word in their minds for very long. They were really not paying close attention. And as a result, they were not only distracted easily because whatever shiny object or whatever distraction came along, they were distracted by it. But the word of God was not in their thinking and in their thoughts long enough to be firmly rooted and established within them. And so rather than being mature in their thoughts and Christ-centered in their thinking, these individuals remained highly immature. And because they were immature in this way, it was hard to explain to them certain truths. It was hard to know exactly how to appeal to them on their level. Because the basics of what they should have known spiritually were simply not in place. And their understanding of the truth of God was so rudimentary, so underdeveloped, that it was difficult to appeal to them utilizing mature Christian reasoning. And so here, the writer to the Hebrews laments the fact that he had much to say. His heart was full. His mind was busy with information that he wanted to share with them. But they didn't have the spiritual capacity. They didn't have the spiritual maturity to receive it. There were things that he clearly longed to explain to them, important things, things that they needed to know, but they did not have the spiritual attention span to follow what the writer wanted to convey to them. And needless to say, brethren, if we look at these words and we take them to heart, they are very sad words indeed. They're sad words here in verse 11, because here... We read the words of a teacher and preacher who has much to communicate. He has the message of God to convey to them. And yet the ones that he's trying to communicate to were so immature that they didn't have the mindset to hear and to receive it. They were dull of hearing as opposed to being sharp and ready to hear. They were dull of hearing to receive that truth which could have built them up, that truth which could have established them firmly in the Christian faith. And I ask you, dear brethren, who I hope are paying attention this morning, I ask you, are there churches, are there Christians today who are dull of hearing, who are inattentive in the sense that I've described here in our text this morning, I believe that there are. There are. In fact, in every congregation, there are some members, there are some attendees to whom the pastor would love to say more. There are some individuals within the congregation the pastor would love to explain much more to them in a way that would build them and establish them in the faith, but they are simply too inattentive. They are simply too unfocused. They are simply too 
distracted to enable the pastor to make progress with them. They suffer from what you might call shiny object syndrome. Whatever shiny object goes by, that's where their eyes and their minds go. And that is so true in so many churches and in the lives of so many believers today. So all the pastor can do is is admonish them. All the pastor can do is is pray for them. And a, a faithful pastor does pray for them that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God would begin to take root in their lives and move them away from what truly distracts them and move them in the direction of spiritual maturity. For it is a sad thing to see a believer who has been exposed to faithful, Christ-centered preaching and teaching for long periods who remains inattentive to what he or she is hearing who continues to be distracted easily from those essential Christian truths that should serve as spiritual anchors in their lives and who have very little prolonged interest in delving into the richer and deeper truths of the Christian faith or even having them explained to them. And dear friend, if you are this morning such a believer, if you are willing to confess this morning that you've been dull of hearing, that you have not been attentive and that you have been easily distracted from that which could establish and settle you in the faith, then know today is the day that all things can begin to be different. For it is the Holy Spirit's work to mature you in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he can begin to do so in proportion to how often you yield him your attention, which should be focused on God's word, which you should be devoted to hearing. For just as inattention is a sign of spiritual immaturity, so giving one's attention fully to the word of God when it is taught and preached, is the first step on the way to maturity. For the Apostle Paul declared to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, when he was departing from the city of Ephesus, these words, It is the word of God, the word of God's grace, which is able to build us up and to give us an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Therefore, if we want to be fully mature, if we want to be growing in our Christian lives, we need to be fully engaged, fully alert, fully involved in our hearts and in our minds with what we're hearing. We must give it our attention. We must be fully attentive. Then the second symptom of spiritual immaturity is the inability, the inability to teach others because of a weak spiritual constitution 
or a lack of skill with the word of God due to a weak spiritual constitution or a lack of skill with the word of God. For in speaking again to these readers here in verse 12, notice what the writer says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. For apparently these readers had received enough teaching in the opinion of this writer that they should have been proficient in the basic principles of God's word. They should have been able to convey those principles to others if they were asked to do so. And yet the writer states here in verse 12 that they were still not at a place in their Christian lives they were still not at a place in their Christian maturity where they could. And needless to say, the writer is not suggesting here that every believer should be prepared for the office of a teacher. But he is lamenting the fact that these believers were still not ready to convey to others what they knew. For despite the efforts of those who had taught them and had poured their labor into their development, these readers were still spiritual infants. Get the picture here. They had learned so much already, or at least had the opportunity to learn so much already, that they should have been capable as teachers, and yet they were still spiritual infants. Infants, Or in other words, their spiritual constitutions were still not strong enough to digest the kind of teaching that was needed to sustain them beyond the point of spiritual infancy and to make them useful in conveying God's truth to others. But rather, as the writer states here at the end of verse 12, notice the end of verse 12 here of chapter 5. These people required milk and not solid food. They required milk and not solid food. And so while they should have been at a place where they could chew and digest the weightier and heavier principles of divine scripture on their own, these individuals were still on a spiritual diet that was only suitable for infants. And of course, the idea here as well is that they were also at a place where they needed someone else to nurse them and to care for them as well. For those who are restricted to a diet of spiritual milk often have to be carried right those who are restricted to a diet of spiritual milk often have to be burped they have to be cuddled so that they do not choke those who are restricted to drinking only spiritual milk cannot be fed something of more substance because their delicate and underdeveloped constitutions will simply reject it or simply spit it back up for when an individual is still nursing from a bottle long after they should have started walking on their own, 
long after they should have been drinking something more substantial, is sad to behold. In fact, seeing an infant drink milk can be adorable to behold for a while. For a while. But it starts to become a matter of serious concern when they're still drinking from the bottle many, many months later. That's the idea that the writer is conveying here. And this is true not only with children who should be setting aside their milk in favor of more solid food, but it's also true with believers who have been sitting for long periods under the sound of the word, but are still unable to handle anything more than the most basic and elementary principles of the word of God. For while it is good to know the basics, and I'm not suggesting this morning that knowing the basics is a bad thing. It's a good thing to be well grounded in the basics. Nevertheless, it is reasonable to expect that as Christians grow, their capacity to handle, their capacity to digest more substantial and weightier truths of God's word should be growing and developing as well. Let me just stop there for a moment and make a few words of application. Are you the kind of individual that the writer to the Hebrews is describing here? Are you one who've been sitting under the sound of God's word for some time, and yet you've never moved beyond the basics? You've never moved beyond the rudimentary elements of the Christian faith. You're still sucking on a spiritual bottle. You're still having to be carried. You're still having to be burped. You're still having to be cuddled. Someone has to nurse you, care for you. And yet you should be at a place in your life where you can teach others, where you can convey to other people what you already know as a believer. The text this morning suggests it's not wrong to expect that as a Christian matures in his or her, his or her understanding excuse me, of the faith that he should be able to teach others also. In fact, the writer states to all of these readers here in verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time you ought to be teachers. And could someone say that to you and I today as well? By this time, Jeff, you should be a teacher. In light of all that you know and all that you've heard and all that you've experienced and all the care and nurturing and nursing that you've received, you ought to be a teacher. And so all believers are not called, obviously, to be a teacher in a formal sense, but there is a sense in which every believer in time should be mature enough to communicate the truth that they hold dear to other people. For as a part of growing up, as a part of maturing as a believer in Jesus Christ is, is finding your gifts, right? It's amazing to watch a young child find their ability to walk. 
And it can be a delight to watch them as they develop that gift. But what do we say about a child who never finds their gift to walk, who always has to be carried, who has no mobility at all because they've never found their steps? A part of growing up is finding your gifts, using your God-given courage in order to teach others in some capacity. And in saying this, I, I know that there are some within congregations, there are some even within our own congregation who are not currently teaching others in any capacity. And again, I want to emphasize this is not talking about a formal teaching capacity. And yet, there's reasons why you should be teaching others. And there's opportunities why you can teach others. And if I'm talking to you today and you will know if I am. If I'm talking to you today, I urge you to consider this reality. I urge you to pray and think about this. Who is it that you should be teaching? Where should you be teaching? How should you be teaching? Or certainly there are individuals in your life. There are individuals within the scope of your influence as a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor who, who need to be taught the basics of the gospel. And if you know the basics of the gospel because you've been exposed to it for so long, why can't you teach them? Why aren't you teaching them? You've heard enough, you've been exposed enough to the truth of the gospel to be able to do this, is the argument of the Hebrew writer. There is a real sense in which you know that you should be teaching others already. I mean, the argument here that the writer is making is you should realize, based upon what you know from the word of God, that you should be teaching. In fact, the only reason that you haven't been is because you're afraid or because you thought you lacked opportunity. But the truth is... All of us have the Spirit of God within us, and if we look carefully enough, God has already provided us with opportunities. Because as I said a few moments ago, there are friends, and there are neighbors, and there are co-workers, and there are family members in our lives who could benefit greatly from what we already know. In fact, compared to them, you already know a great deal you say, but I don't know very much. That may be true. But what you do know can be conveyed to somebody who doesn't know anything. You know a great deal that you can already share with them. It's only a matter of your willingness to do this. And if you are mature enough to see this, you can make a big difference in the lives of other people. For God may be pleased to use the gospel through your teaching to lead someone else into the kingdom. God is faithful to use the witness of his own children to bring others to the truth. So what I've been saying may make some of you feel a little uncomfortable today. It's not my intent to torment you 
It's my intent to admonish you to consider this same question, the same comment in view of your own life as well. Should you be a teacher? Should you be teaching someone else what you know about the gospel? Then lastly, brethren, the third symptom of spiritual immaturity the writer mentions here in chapter 5 is a lack of skill in handling the word of righteousness. A lack of skill in handling the word of righteousness or that word that teaches righteousness. That's one way we could translate this as well. For in continuing his description of the immature Christian here in verse 13, the writer states, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the work of righteousness, or excuse me, the word of righteousness, since he is a child. So just as an immature believer possesses an underdeveloped capacity for digesting the word, so he or she, as a characteristic, has an undeveloped ability for handling the word. And this undeveloped ability to be handling the word of God is, is to be expected, the writer says here at the end of verse 13, because an immature believer still thinks and behaves like a child, right? We wouldn't expect a child to be well-developed and skilled at handling something so powerful. And yet the goal that all of us should have by the grace of God is to be at that place in our Christian lives where we are skilled at using the word. The question is, then, how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, notice here, before we get to the end of our text, that the writer mentions two things here in verse 14 that we must do in order to develop and increase our skills in handling God's word. Okay? First of all, notice here, we must settle for nothing less than solid food. We must settle for nothing less than solid food. For the writer says here in the beginning of verse 14, solid food is for the mature. That's what the mature eat. That's what the maturing Christian is eating, solid food. That's what they are daily putting into their mouths, or we could say into their minds. And therefore, if we want to be mature in handling the word, we need to be selective about what we feed ourselves spiritually. And if we want to be skillful in handling the word of God, we need to stop feeding on the kind of food that will not sustain us in the long term. We need to stop trying to sustain ourselves on milk. And that's what some believers try to do. They, they try to sustain themselves on milk for as long as possible because they're afraid to go to anything more advanced. They try to sustain themselves on, on spiritual milk or I would say, I would add to that, many try to sustain themselves on what we might call spiritual fast food. And we need to strive instead to develop a hearty appetite for the meat of the word. The meat of the word. For as long as we're drinking only milk 
As long as we're trying to sustain ourselves on a diet of spiritual milk or fast food, instead of the strong meat of the word, we will not develop our capacity to know it or to teach it. And so the first and foremost thing that we must do is we must discipline ourselves. I'm talking here to those who are maturing. We must discipline ourselves to develop and maintain the right spiritual diet. The right spiritual diet. And as we might expect, this involves a willingness to commit ourselves to the disciplined study of the word and to its central doctrines. For without being disciplined to study the word and learning to interpret it, we will always be spiritual children. We will always be tossed to and fro. Where the simple truth is, you and I cannot prosper spiritually. You and I cannot grow up into spiritual maturity until we begin to see the word of God in a particular way. And that is we must begin to see the word of God as our necessary spiritual food. Our necessary spiritual food. We need to understand what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 4 and verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how we live. That's how we grow. That's how we mature from those words that come from the mouth of God. We need to be committed to obeying what the Lord said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Remember these words? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Meditating on the word, not just reading the word, but ruminating on the word, chewing the word, drawing all of the vitality and nourishment out of the word by thinking about it, meditating on it day and night, so you may be careful to do all that is written within it. We need to consider the words of Psalm 1 and verse 2 about the blessed man or the blessed person. How is he blessed? Why is he blessed? Here's why he's blessed. Because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This is why the blessed man is like a tree planted by the waters, yielding fruit. Fruitfulness is related to our intake and meditation upon the word. As your pastor, this morning I want to encourage you in any way that I can to develop a greater love and a greater appetite for the word of God. Not just for the milk of the word. Yes, the milk is pleasant to drink and sustains you for a while. But for the meat of the word. For the meat of the word. For without 
this love, without this appetite, your maturity as a believer will always be stunted. And because your growth and maturity is stunted, then your usefulness in the ministry will be limited because of what you don't know and because of what you can't do, such as handle the word of God skillfully. In fact, let's make an agreement together this morning. Let's work together to increase your knowledge of and your expertise in handling God's word. If you lack discipline in this area, if you need something as simple as a Bible reading plan to get you on track and to keep you on track, then see me and I'll, I'll freely and willingly and joyfully provide you with one. Not only will I give you a daily reading plan, but I'll give you the accountability that you want to ensure that you are following through. In addition, if you desire to have someone disciple you in the study of God's word, then, then let me know. Here's something that I know that I think you should know. We have because of the grace and goodness of God, men and women in this congregation who are spiritually mature, who are mature enough and skilled enough in the handling of biblical truth, who can teach you how to interpret and apply scripture, who can lead you into a deeper understanding of God's word. And now is the time to be proactive and far less passive when it comes to actually doing the things that promote your maturity. Let me assure you, you would be far better off in your life if you were committed to the strong meat of God's word. And if you need someone to disciple you, let me know. Because I'm confident that there are individuals within this congregation that I could easily partner with, who could partner with you to ensure that you get the discipling that you need when it comes to these issues. Then secondly, in order to develop our skills in handling God's word, we must, according to verse 14, train or develop our powers of spiritual discernment. We must develop or train our powers of spiritual discernment. For one thing that marks an immature believer is the inability to distinguish between good and evil. And the idea here is good and evil choices, especially when it comes to decision making. For wise decisions in your life and in my life require strong minds and even strong spiritual convictions. And yet strong minds and strong convictions are only forged under the authority and the influence of God's word bearing down upon us. In fact, if we are spending little time under the power and the influence of God's word, we should not be surprised if we are inclined to assess things immaturely. I'm never surprised to hear that a person struggles in decision-making in particular and makes immature decisions the fact that they spend very little time in the Word of God. 
We should not expect to make good decisions, and I'm speaking to myself as well here. We should not expect to make good decisions, decisions that express our reliance upon God and promote the good of others if we are ignorant of the scriptures, if we are not spending time in God's word. One of the benefits of, of knowing God's word and knowing it really well is the ability to apply it in the way that God intended it to be used. Sadly, many Christians today, as a direct result of spiritual immaturity, struggle with how to apply God's word. Maybe you would admit this morning that you struggle with how to apply God's word. Why? Because you do not have the knowledge of the context and the knowledge of the content to use it well. And therefore, when weak Christians, immature Christians come across a situation where the word of God should be a source of comfort to them, they find it difficult to interpret. They find it impossible to apply. And that happens again and again and again. Needless to say, the only way to resolve this problem is to do what the writer to the Hebrews says here at the end of verse 14. And that is to have our spiritual discernment trained by constant practice our spiritual discernment trained by constant practice because a mature believer a believer who can rightly discern the circumstances in his life and who can apply God's word appropriately is one who has learned through consistent practice not to ignore God's word or its application. Because as important as a knowledge of God's word is, being able to discern how it applies and then learning to faithfully apply it is just as important. We need the knowledge of God's word and we need the application of God's word in our lives. I'm not talking about sermon preparation here. I'm talking about daily living. God's word known but unapplied is simply a mental exercise. God's word known but unapplied is simply a mental exercise. God's word known and faithfully applied is a means of growth. We need both knowledge and application and that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. And so it's through a steady diet of solid food and the practice of consistently applying what we've learned that replaces immaturity with true spiritual maturity. And when true maturity prevails, the problems that we face are not automatically done away with, but they do become manageable under grace. And the people of God are blessed with a stability that can't easily be shaken. So may God give us the ability to be attentive to his word. May God give us a strong spiritual constitution able to thrive on strong meat. May God give us the ability to teach others out of the spiritual wealth of what we've already learned and experienced 
in the Christian life which has tremendous value. In fact, I was thinking about this this morning as I was reflecting on this message. How much do you learn simply by being faithful to the Lord's day and sitting under good, solid preaching for years? Do you think that there's some value in what you've heard during all that time? Do you think that you've obtained enough information to help another individual understand the gospel, to understand the ways of God? I would suggest that many of us know far more than we're willing to admit. We have far more skills in handling the word of God than we're willing to venture to use. What's our excuse? Is there any excuse as to why we're not teaching others? To why we're not taking somebody beside us in the course of our daily lives and sharing with them the wealth of information that we have? We should be doing that. May God increase our skills so that we can be of greater use in his kingdom. May God help us to hear, to not be dull in hearing this morning, but help us to be ready to hear, alert to hear, with ears wide open for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word, which is so true and so powerful and so relevant and so applicable and so needful. We just don't know what we would do without your word. It supplies us with so much, and we thank you for it. And yet how often we grow dull in hearing, how quickly we get distracted, how frequently we go after other shiny objects and take our minds and hearts off your word. Forgive us of these sins this morning. Help us to see the folly of it all. Help us to place our hearts and minds firmly upon your word to do as we're told in scripture, to read it, to see it as our necessary food, to meditate on it day and night. If we would do these things, we would be far more mature. If we would do these things as a congregation, how mature we would be as a people of God, how easier it would be for us in many ways to make difficult decisions because we have a treasury of knowledge, of scriptural knowledge in our mind, and we have the ability and the experience to know how to apply it. That's our problem so often, Father. We don't know enough about your word. We don't take it for what it is your truth and apply it enough to see how truly effective it is but help that to change today help us to truly believe what we've heard today and to begin to grow up into mature christian people 
Bless us. May your Holy Spirit do his work today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.